You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome back, sports fans, to another episode of the Charity Stripe Podcast brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one sports podcast network in Los Angeles. For those listening at home, on the road, in the air, or in the water... Do you believe? We have a great show for you guys today. We are joined by two-time NBA Executive of the Year, five-time NBA champ, CEO of the San Antonio Spurs, R.C. Buford, is in the house. So buckle up, tuck it into your waistband. We got a great one. Here we go. Three, two, one. We're back. We sitting here, I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we in here talking about practice. It's the Charity Stripe. Pitch your free throws because they're free. So 255 coming hot at you guys in so 254. And on the show, you'll hear Nikki Snacks, Kaida, Alex Tossman, The Rock, Tisopolis, and of course myself. And as you heard in the introduction, we got R.C. Buford, current CEO of the San Antonio Spurs, formerly the GM and team president over there for the entire run of the dynasty. He's here with us today. And if you're a basketball fan, a sports fan, he is one guy whose brain, at least I've always wanted to pick, ditto with Toss and Nick. So we are privileged and excited for you guys to take a listen. And without further ado, no more rambling. Here we go. The interview with R.C. Buford. Enjoy. You heard it in the introduction, guys. Two-time executive of the year, five-time NBA champ, the orchestrator of the great Spurs dynasty, R.C. Buford, joins the show. R.C., how you doing today, man? Well, I think you guys are giving credit where credit's not due. Tim Duncan made us all look good for a long time, so 
Kenny yeah. is the, the orchestrator. He's not a bad guy to, you know, <laughs> to rest your laurels on. Um, the whole team, though, it's quite amazing what you guys did. Obviously, the run from 2000, 2007, 2008 is phenomenal. But the fact that you could kind of back in that in 2014 is really remarkable and, and, and stretch that dynasty as far as you did. And so many people think it's easy because you have that team in place. But nowadays we see superstars and people jumping around the NBA. Can you kind of speak to that difficulty that people may have not seen kind of maintaining that team and just building around the big three that you already had in place, adding piece after piece? Well, developmental was always the way was always our approach. I think we, we were the beneficiaries of stability, but we were also at the same time, you know, became, um, became at the, at the, uh, the mercy of, of Kawhi's departure as well. So, um, you know, I think the group that we were able to have for such a long time, that was such a big part of our team and allowed us to develop really good people and good players around him was, was pop, Tim, Tony, Manu, um, David Robinson before then, Sean Elliott, Avery Johnson. I mean, we were, the beneficiaries of an amazing group of people that allowed us um, to coach them and, and to team build with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and obviously you, you mentioned, you know, giving Tim Duncan the credit over there. He's the 1-1, one, one, the easy pick out of Wake Forest. But you find guys like Manu in the second round. You find a guy like Kawhi, like you mentioned, at 15. You find Tony at 28. What was that process? Because you, you started out as a head scout. I don't know how many people know that. You were the head scout of the Spurs, uh, just to give your resume out to the people. Um, you're the head scout over there. Well, and I started out as a coach. Yes, so assistant like, coach for Larry Brown. Yeah, that. yeah. You bounced around that the college was, ranks. Yeah. And then. That was, um, you know, that was a really important part of my learning and development. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And what was it? What was it like kind of finding those players? finding the right players and finding a Tony Parker, Manu, Kawhi. Did you expect those things? Obviously, Manu, all three are going to be in the Hall of Fame someday. Um, but do you expect them to be such key contributors to what you and Pop are putting together for kind of a second trio of runs post-David Robinson? You know, I don't know that you ever expect anything. Um, I think you go in hopeful. You go in prepared. You have a process that you believe in. Over the course of time, we were uh, we were allowed to do our jobs mm-hmm. by an investor group that really uh, gave us an opportunity to develop a chemistry and a culture with a program that doesn't happen very often. You know, there's there I think been between 250 and 300 coaches that have been hired since Pop became the head coach here, and it would be very difficult to that's just in the nba there would be very difficult to have developed the consistency and the uh without the stability that our investors and the whole family in particular have 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 given us this opportunity um and then along with that to have players who were really great people Mm -hmm. who fit culturally and who set standards for themselves that elevated the standards of all of us around them. Yeah. So it was really a confluence of opportunity, of longevity, 
and then the people who who uh, built our program. Yeah, and you say you you're hopeful, right? You can't expect these guys to pop off and be Hall of Famers, like I'm suggesting. Who would you say was the biggest surprise of the three? Manu, Kawhi, or Tony Parker, in the way they in their trajectory of their careers? I mean, they were all different in their different um, in their different spaces. Yeah. Uh, Tony was the first into our program, although Manu was drafted before Tony. Tony had a lot of expectations thrown on him early on, a team that had won a 99 championship, and now he was being given the starting point guard role two years later. Um, that would have been massively um, uh, impactful on anyone, but uh, especially the point guard role, especially with the team that was already playing, you know, with Tim and, and David, um, those were huge expectations. And then Manu grew from the time he was drafted internationally to be, you know, one of the great players of our generation, especially in the inter international group. And to have been, um, you know, MVP of the EuroLeague, Olympic gold medalist, and an NBA champion, that growth, you know, while we were the beneficiaries of it, that was Manu and, and himself growing um, with, our, with our, with our, and allowing us to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. So, and then Kawhi was totally different. You know, Kawhi changed the game. He changed his game in a way. And I think Chip England had a massive impact on both he and on Tony Parker's uh, eventual rise um, in the work with their individual development and particularly shooting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy to see. I mean, you, you guys pick these guys out easier than I pick out an avocado at the grocery store. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's a gold mine every time, which is, which is really phenomenal, but the, well, not every time. Cl as close a, as you can get, man. Mm -hmm. It's a team effort. It's a, I think it, it, it uh, now has been elevated with our Austin Spurs programming mm -hmm. and the ability to use, you know, we were with the second team in the NBA to, to uh, buy a G League team and to have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with our G League team. So the opportunity to grow, the opportunity to develop, the opportunity to give guys a, a chance to play at the same time the the varsity team is has got really high expectations to be competing you know for championships and and so austin created a different environment that allowed you know the, the young guys who then came in and Corey joseph danny green um davis bertons dejante Derek white Lonnie Walker, you know, it's just like been a path that now um, shows, uh, creates opportunities that wouldn't be available had we not um, had the Austin Spurs. That's interesting. You don't think like, you know, because the way baseball uses their minor leagues, right? It's like the Yankees could kind of control the culture from the show down to like low A, right? having that G League team kind of allows you to control that culture down there. So when you send a guy like Keldon Johnson down, he's kind of learning 
you know, the ways of the Spurs, in a sense, versus sending him down to another team that doesn't have full control. I mean, I think that's kind of like an unsung so, thing in the NBA. So just from a from a uh, verbiage standpoint, we don't ever send anybody down mm-hmm. because that sounds to us like a demotion. Okay. That's not that's not the way we 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 want them to view the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, we think it really has an impact with everyone's attitude if we recognize that Austin is an opportunity, and we send them to Austin with a very purposeful program designed to help elevate them, not not send them down. I love that. I will dismiss that for my verbiage going forward. Thank you for the – I got you, you, man. I pre, Yeah, totally. That will never come out of my mouth again, not even when we're hanging out on the couch. I promise you. Uh, uh, the ex- oh, Sorry, Alex. You know, it's just – you guys have, have done a – you know, Josh mentioned Tony. You mentioned Manu. Um, there's been a multitude of players on the Spurs since 2000 from an international background. I think we're seeing a lot more from a, from a fan's perspective, just international scouting. Um, we get a lot more of that now. Um, I grew up in Dallas. I, I was, I love Luca on the, on the maps and being able to see him play on Real Madrid was something that, you know, 10, 15 years ago, a fan didn't necessarily have the opportunity to do unless they were actually in that country. Um, I'd love if you could just talk about how, how the international scouting has changed, how the landscape of international players has grown and if on on your side of that things are a lot more open and communicative where it's it's less of taking a risk than it used to be Mm -hmm. what do you think about that so just a little bit of the historical um you know 1997 when we first were at the under 20 world championships that was um outside of the usa uh team members that went on to play in the NBA. You had Mirsan Turchan, you had Manu, you had Hito Tarkalu, you had um, Fabricio Alberto, Luis Scola. Um, there were a bunch of for, uh, future NBA players. I'm missing some. Pablo Pergioni. Uh, I'm missing some, but there were, I think, seven NBA teams represented at, in a scouting role. Today, you would never find an, an international world championship, especially for young players that doesn't have all 30 teams represented in the scouting roles. Um, so I think it's a much more competitive environment in that the league now has close to 120 players. So almost 20, between 20 and 25% of the players in our league um, were born internationally. Um, Our 2014 championship team had 11 of our 14 guys born outside the continental United States. You you continue to see um, the, in the, in the, uh, the competitiveness for the national teams programming and, and, uh, it's not surprising now that you see um, international teams winning world championships or Olympic gold medals. Yeah. And Manu was one of the early adopt, you know, the early, um, the early stars in that environment. I remember we were shocked you know, when that happened. Coach, coach, coaching as well. You know, we had Etre Messina join our group. You've got 
um, coaches from international programs all over the NBA. Um, did you guys prefer, did you guys, was that something, was that a preference of you guys? Like looking, obviously, you know, you're not going versus, you're not just looking at it. It's as simple as, you know, American born players versus internationally born players. But was there something, there must have been something you saw early on in the international game that allowed you guys to go after and be, be at the forefront of this, really? Well, it wasn't, it wasn't anything that we saw. It was Pop allowing it to happen and appreciating the diversity of players, the diversity of experience, the derf- and the, the added value that that diversity could bring to uh, to programs and to teams. And you see Patty Mills's coffee gang, but, you know, before that there was, when Patty was just a youngster, there was Manu and Boris and Tony and, um, different countries or different players from different countries getting together on a daily basis, talking about things besides how we're going to guard the pick and roll that night. And that, I think helped us build chemistry and culture within our program. I don't remember who had the article on it. Maybe it was ESPN. It was an article on pop and you as a, we as fans and like media kind of look at him and we see he's stoic. He's, you know, he's sarcastic and he has that vibe and he's funny and he seems like he's pretty much all business, all coaching all the time. People liken him to almost Belichick with a bit of more of a sense of humor. Um, but you read this article and you, it's, it was about the parties or like the dinners he would throw and how his love of wine and how he infused so much non-basketball talk and so much family in the culture that it really made sense what was going on in San Antonio, which was, I, I found to be a great thing and, and, and just wanted to bring that up. Um, and I, the, the, the pop has a real um appreciation for the value that can be um gained when you break bread together and so the team dinners are important to the culture and i think the opportunity to have those conversations and learn when we when we got to uh, orlando last thursday we had our first practice on saturday and the first hour of practice was around circle with our players telling each other about their own experience with race, systematic racism and social justice and the imp- influences that it impacted their lives and giving each other a greater appreciation of what, what, uh, what they went through that built them to who they are as people. Um, and I think that's some of the most important part of building a team is to get people to understand who you are as people, what your experiences are, and the influences that that had on um, on each other. I'll never forget game one of the 2014 NBA Finals. It's an early June day, I think June 3rd. And um, obviously – you know what the, the the finals the year before with game six we were in a position to win the win the win the championship and we didn't close the deal we lost in game seven to Miami and so it was one of the most devastating um, 
experiences and losses that an organization and particularly a team had gone through and to come back the next year and be in a position to play in the finals against the heat um, was you'd have you'd be expected everyone just to be laser focused on playing the Miami heat and what we were going to have to do to beat the heat that night in game one and pop got the team together and and said to patty mills patty what's we have you told everybody what today is and patty's like yeah pop it's game one of the finals let's go um and he says well what else is it and he goes i'm not sure what you mean pop and he goes have you told everybody that it's eddie mabo day and Patty got really emotional and told the story of Eddie Mabel, which was who was the first indigenous Australian to uh, fight for the right to own land in the current Australian um, political system. Mm -hmm. And not only was Patty, who's an uh, Aboriginal, not only was Eddie Mabel Aboriginal, we didn't know it at the time, but Patty's family is from the Torrey Strait Islands. And so Patty is a Torrey Islander as well. So was Eddie Mabel. And then even further depth, it ended up that Eddie Mabel was like Patty's fourth uncle. But the emotion that Patty share, had sharing the story of Eddie Mabel, it's like they're Martin Luther King, except he's not known around the world. And for Pop to have known that this was Eddie Mabel day and for him to ask Patty to share that story gave the team a togetherness that you wouldn't have gotten if you'd have just gone out and figured out how you were going to guard LeBron James in the pick and roll. And we ended up having a long conversation. We went out, shot the ball, didn't really walk through any of Miami's stuff. Um, and then we go out that night, we turned off the air conditioning and we get, and we won game one. But, um, it uh I was supposed to at least get a laugh out of somebody. Savage. <laughs> I listen, man, you have my emo you have my emotions going, man. You yeah. can't just spin me like that. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, that wasn't on purpose, although the heat'll never forgive us for it. But um if it was on purpose yeah. though, RC, that's a mastermind move by you and I I tip my hat <laughs> I tip my hat to it, brother, because that that's 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 the ultimate. That's I think that's like that's a really cool perspective piece on just you know a head coach in the NBA is a tough job and you're you're managing yeah. personalities of of men, right? Yeah. Who, and some of the who, biggest personalities in all sports. Yeah. Right, and who are fantastic athletes, but all with the variance of skill. Um, you know, different players are better at certain things than other players, and I think that a lot of times that head coach position turns into identifying roles for individuals and how that can best put the team forward. And I mean, everyone who is a basketball fan, again, like I grew up a Dallas Mavericks fan. So there was that, that animosity towards the Spurs, you know, whenever we played, but the more and more I watched and the more and more I grew up, the more and more I had to appreciate the type of basketball that you guys were playing. And I think a lot of it was a trickle down effect from pop and what you're hearing just kind of confirms that for me. But, well, I mean, a player knowing their role, like a Matt Bonner knowing that when he's open from the three-point line, that he's got the green light, you know, that 
that's really cool. That's really cool. That story that you just shared. It's, you know, we were the beneficiaries of great players that allowed pop to coach them hard. Mm -hmm. They also held themselves to standards that raised the standards of everyone. But I think pop's been allowed to, to coach people hard because he spends so much time developing the personal relationships with the individual players and their families so that we hope they recognize that when he is coaching them hard, it's not because they just screwed up a play. It's because this is what I have to do to hold all of us accountable to be the best team we can be. And I think that's, that's been our players have allowed it in ways that other players may not have. Um, but it's also that's they allow it because pop spends so much time um, developing personal relationships. Mm -hmm. You, you, you would watch the Spurs team, man. And you, you growing us growing up and you're like, when is it going to flop? When is it? I, and I went through like we, I was doing my research today, and I was like, "All right, when when was the last time they had a losing record?" And I may I may not even have been born, which is crazy to me, you know. And you, I, I think back and like, when was this team going to fail or flop or anything? And I watched a little bit of it. Uh, Magic Johnson. It was a beautiful game. I'm sure you've seen it on YouTube. And like a little set. Were you born in 1997? I was born in '94, so I was. I saw a couple losing years from the high chair. I, that's where I, I was. I was. I was privy to a couple. I was eating uh, Gerber baby food, and they, you guys were not in good shape. By the time I'd graduated, it worked out okay for us that summer. So Timmy, getting Timmy was, I guess, worth the pain. Listen, by the time I by the time I was done with Happy Meals, you guys were winning titles. That's where that, that that's what I'm getting at right there, and it's. And you're like, when is it going to flop? And then you just watch Magic Johnson. I thought that was one of the most telling things to me. He was talking about the Spurs team. And Magic Johnson's a superstar, and we're in a superstar-driven league. And Tim Duncan, to me, I got I caught a lot of flack on our show because I put Tim Duncan in my top five players of all time. I'm super glad you're here to back me up on that notion. Um, and he um, – but he wasn't like, you know, the LeBron James. He wasn't like this big personality, though he was like a star player. And Magic Johnson, who I viewed as a superstar, talking about how the Spurs were the closest thing that enabled like his Showtime Lakers with the ball movement and the beautiful game and how unselfish they were to each other. And hearing you talk about it just makes so much sense because the unselfish culture that seems to have gone on there. Because like the Patty Mills thing, Patty Mills now is a veteran, but he wasn't a veteran then. He was a young player. And the fact, exactly. that, and the fact that they all could kind of get around a young guy who's maybe the 10th man, ninth man on that team, you know, and hit home just shows makes, it just makes sense why there was, they were able to get back that next year, which to me is crazy. After that devastating loss, did you guys, were you nervous as an executive going, Hey, Duncan's kind of towards the end, Manu and Parker towards the end. We have Kawhi, but Kawhi was not like a superstar Kawhi. He is today an MVP candidate. Were you nervous trying to get back? Did you think that was it after that first loss? Because you guys, I mean, that's the greatest shot in basketball history that had to take you guys down, you know, the year before. Not to, like, hash, not to hash was, the wound, my friend. Sorry. It was emotionally devastating to our team, our players. Um, there were a lot of days where 
Pop and Tim and Manu were sitting in the gym on the on the floor, um, wondering did they want to come back. But Pop did an amazing job to start the next season. We came in, we watched Game Six, and as a whole team, we went play by play. It was. Um, the longest single game film session I've probably ever seen. And we recognized that it wasn't that shot that beat us. There were opportunities throughout the game that we could have uh, handled better and not made mistakes that wouldn't have put us, would have put us in a position where we wouldn't have had to rely on that. Um, and then we shared that together and we walked out of the film room and we never talked about it again the rest of the year. And the league and the media and everybody wanted to keep asking about it. Mm -hmm. We just didn't go there. And we got up, we flew, we went to the straight from the film room to the plane. We flew out to Colorado Springs, had training camp at the Air Force Academy. Um, it was a great time for the team to bond you know, kind of in Pop's old environment. Yeah. So our players got to see where he came from, and that was really good. And we ended training camp. We were we were everybody was in the bus thinking they were going to practice, and the bus goes right by the gym, and it goes out into the woods through the obstacle course where the all the Air Force cadets have to go through, and. The coaches and the team went through the obstacle course with the same weighted um, guns, you know, the sample or uh, fake guns that the cadets have to go through. And Timmy's like the first guy up. He was he was all in, <laughs> and there's just the the emotional connection and and uh, clearing that happened by facing that together and not pointing fingers at each other, but taking the individual responsibility for what I could have done to change the results of game six was, and then we're over it. We're not going to talk about it. I don't care if the media keeps asking about it. Um, it was a, it was a really good clearing. That's great. You can't sit there and point fingers at a game like that because yeah, it comes down to the end, but there's so many other things Throughout the series, throughout everything, it's just like a waste of everybody's time. Yeah? And so to kind of clear the air and put it behind you, I mean, it's just, again, to the mindset of the team. I mean, you saw it in this, with this, I think the Spurs, the Celtics team, kind of with the, with KG and Paul Pierce and, and Ray in their first year, just that mindset of everything that we've failed at or not succeeded with, because I don't, I don't want to use negative language <laughs> here, uh, in the past, let's put that behind us and let's come together for this season and the seasons going forward to kind of try to put something together and put the egos aside, because those are three big ego players. And the fact that the Spurs, are, you guys were able to do that, put egos aside and not point fingers and move forward against like the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies were good. They were kind of trying, they were, they were, they were up your guys' ass. And then Thunder, obviously, you know, were such a young budding team. And to stop both those teams is, is, is quite remarkable. Now you're in, a, are you in Orlando right now as we speak? The team's there. I'm not going to go until we didn't, they limited the number of people we could have in the bubble. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to go uh, once we start playing and I'm going to live semi semi secluded outside the bubble. 
starting July 31st through the end of our play. Yeah, they're gonna you gonna, gonna go to Epcot at all? That's not on my list. Good, good, <laughs> good move. Just making sure you're staying safe, man. Though it, it's yeah, te- right. though it's it's tempting. Um, the so bubble. You won't, you won't be able to interact with them. You'll just be able to watch. Is that kind of how it's how it's going? At least yeah. from a, at least on a personal contact level. I'll be up in an elevated position, yelling at pop. Nice. Yeah. They, there you go. I don't think, it, I don't think he's going to be like, I can't, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. <laughs> I don't think he can pay, he'll pay a lot of attention to me, but the NBA has done an incredibly difficult task to put this together. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, and there are things that are going to happen that you can't predict. I mean, I just, as we were on the call here, I saw there's notification that Russell yeah. Westbrook is in isolation and, and has tested positive. So there's just going to be things happen that we can't predict. Um, just like in the world right now, there's things that are going on that we can't predict. Um, but the NBA has taken on a monumental task and, and really it's taken um, a lot of people coordinating and they've done terrific. Yeah. What, how? I think my concern is it's like, you guys, you're too young, but the movie Escape from Alcatraz. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 hope, you re, I hope you don't re, uh, read about that with Pop, like Escape from Disney. Disney. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a long time to be in there, you know, especially for certain teams going on a run. Um, how do you feel about your guys heading down? How do you feel you about know, the team? Um, we're obviously going to miss LaMarcus, but I'm really glad it's difficult for it. You know, these players at every level have never gone four months of their life without playing basketball. Yeah. And that's been impossible to understand the impact on them physically and emotionally um, to have had that love of the game taken away from them. So I think being together, having a team environment, just the ability before we practice one time to have that conversation on a difficult conversation about racism, that wouldn't have happened in nearly as uh, vulnerable and intimate environment had we been continued to be isolated and just been on Zoom calls. Right. Um, the biggest challenge we had throughout our uh, sheltering was – you know, to figure out how to get pop on a, on a zoom call. <laughs> the guy, the guy's got a, the guy's got a uh, cell phone and now That's he's got an iPad. He had never had a computer or an iPhone. That's what, what's so up he, with that? How is that possible? I mean, he had an iPhone. He never had a, a tablet, but he's got a, he's got a tablet now that he's going to take and actually watch some movies while he's in isolation. <laughs> um, but helping him figure out how to get on a zoom call was our biggest challenge every time we need to get the team together his granddaughter who lives downstairs in their in their apartment she's like five six years old she'd have to take her ipad up and and set her granddad up uh to get on a call with the team that is that is that is rather adorable honestly i mean that we the saban thing what was it saban was like just phone calls for like ever no emails no text messages it's well, that's pop. He's texts now, but it's it's, and he's even learned emojis. But ah, oh, there you go. That's some in, an inside scoop on the relationship what, what, over there. What kind of uh, 
that's like that's always an interesting thing i think different people like they they jump on board with like texting and stuff like that and they does he text in a weird way is it very like is it a bunch very of concise i'm imagining it's like broken up very like specific thoughts and that's it <laughs> the guy was going to be a russian spy so he's pretty cryptic with his text <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that. That is, that is so wild. I mean, the how are you feeling? I mean, you have LaMarcus, you have DeMar, you have a couple good young guys. We could be picking in the lottery for the first time in a long time, and that's and that's wild to think about. What are we thinking about the future of the team? How are you guys feeling over there going forward? Because it's kind of an uncharted territory in a sense. I mean, no one is ever going to count the Spurs out as long as Pop's there. You're there. Um, Tim Duncan's now on the bench, on the pine. He's back in the fold just when the NBA thought they could take a breather from 21. He's coming right back down their throats. So the Spurs are always going to be in it. But what's, you know, the, the looking like going forward for you guys? You know, we've got we've to build our team for the future. And I think that we've seen um, the development of a lot of young players, DeJounte, yeah, he's Terry, great. Lonnie, um, you know, Bryn, um, and now Keldon. Keldon has had a heck of a year in Austin. So there is a lot of good young talent. Jakob joining our group. And, um, you know, we've got some decisions to make in free agency. We've got, as you do every summer. But from a young player perspective, we like the pieces that we have. We'll, we'll need to um, develop or or find, you know, generational talent to, to become elite again. And, and that's the, the goal and the mission of all of our team right now. Mm -hmm. What was, what was it like kind of transitioning from, okay, maintaining the core we have and putting pieces like Danny green, like Corey Joseph around them to succeed that fit the system to going out and having to get a LaMarcus going out, having to make that DeMar DeRozan trade. What was it like kind of having to branch out and kind of shift the way you guys did things in San Antonio? Now have you have to go out and make moves in free agency, and it's kind of – it's different in a sense. It's a different path, um, but I think it's it's one you have to be more transactional in today's NBA. Yeah. Um, and so we're, we're moving in that direction while at the same time recognizing that if you become too transactional – it's going to be difficult to establish um, culture. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, you can't make – it's like fantasy football. I don't know if you play, but if you make 30 lineup changes in a week, you're toast. You know, you're tinkering too much. You can't be – I know it's a bit different than being an NBA executive, but that from from our world – Probably not more than you think. Yeah. <laughs> right? Oh, man, that's so funny. That's great. Uh, the – just to, if I could kind of jump back, quick question, because we were talking about it beforehand. Uh, back to the Heat thing for one more second. Was there a sentiment in the league, or, the, or the, are there sentiments when super teams form, not just for the Heat? Kind of you see like the Clippers form with Kawhi and Paul George. You see the team down in Houston with Russ and Harden. Is there a sentiment on you guys of like, all right, let's go take these guys out or beat these guys because they're kind of conjoining together and it's different than what we do? In a sense, or is it kind of just still head on the grind, focus? Don't worry about what they're doing. Focus on what internal stuff, and game by game, kind of deal. You know, that's not necessarily new. When 
you were playing against the Lakers throughout the you know 2000 right. to 2010. Yeah, you had Kobe and Shaq. You had Kobe and Powell. You had really good teams with great players on it. And I don't think you. We don't spend a lot of time worrying about other teams. Um, we'll, we try to spend time doing what we uh, focusing on things we can control, building the best team we can, and then maintaining our our values and our culture. Mm-mm. Yeah, really, all you can do, honestly, in that sense. Uh, I, think, I think it also matters a lot. Like a lot of those super teams are for, formed, but until they've won multiple championships, how much of a threat did they really pose to to your guys? None, unless they're the team that you're playing across from that night, right? Like, I don't know. I feel like some of it is you got to earn the respect from everyone else too. Yeah, everyone can be good on paper in a sense until you put it together. You guys waste a lot more time worrying about that than team builders do. Oh, yeah, please. You kidding me? All the time, on the couch, on the mic, all day, every day. That's our job. You know what I'm saying? It's our job to worry about that. Uh, and you guys sit there and laugh at us, I'm sure. The, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> big time. <laughs> Not you guys, the rest of The rest of us, yeah, 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 yeah good. Yeah. Thank you, I appreciate it. That's super kind. Um, RC, something we always ask all our guests, uh, and this could be anything, man. It could be from your playing days, your days with the Spurs, uh, anything at all. We want to know what your favorite sports memory is. Watching, playing, anything, man. Um... You know, the the 14 championship, knowing what that group came back from, will always be um, a, a really, a really powerful moment. Um, being at, in, the, in uh, the Alamo Dome in 2008 when Kansas won um, the national championship and my best friend from college was coaching the team, my son was playing on the team, so... That's another good one. Um, yeah, I forgot. I was we were doing research on you, and I'm like, oh my god, I forgot his kid was on Kansas. Jesus, and you and you had coached there, correct? Am I wrong in, in remembering that? Yeah, I, I coached on the '88 championship. You you have you have a natty ring as well, just to yeah add add to it. Having grown up in Kansas, you know, and knowing how important Kansas basketball is to the people of that community. Mm-hmm. Um, those are always really, really powerful, powerful times. What was it like? Just an, an incredible game Yeah, as well. Just one of the yeah. most competitive games and crazy finishes we've seen in college basketball ever. I mean, you've been privy to be sidelined to a lot of amazing things, but watching your, what was it like watching your son suit up for his first Kansas game and take the floor? you know that was that was a lot of fun um his my wife his mom uh was an all-american golfer at kansas as well and so we got a lot of we got a lot of family family ties into the jayhawks and so lawrence kansas will always be special and your daughter was a collegiate athlete too i mean wow are are you guys the most competitive family out there is there something that you guys do where it, it, you really do see the, the competition shine through some sort of family activity. You know, um, we, we, they're all playing golf together. 
uh, a lot these days. Um, my, my daughter now is a college golf coach. Chase is a G League coach for the Milwaukee Bucks. And, um, but when you can't beat your wife in golf, you got to quit. So I didn't, I didn't play golf. <laughs> nice, man. Wow. That's very, that's a big, that's a big thing to admit right there. That's so great, man. Did you and did you and your son used to play one on one growing up? Was there a time where it translated and he he could now beat you in one on one? Did that ever happen? You know, I was bad enough that he could probably beat me from day one. <laughs> <laughs> but you played you played at A and M and OK State though. You 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 suited up. Yeah. Um, so I played the. Um, when I was coaching in the 86 Final Four at Kansas, it was in Dallas, and the uh, the beat writer for the Dallas Morning News, who covered the NCAA at the time, had a uh, a story in the Dallas Morning News. Because, and basically the gist of it was, you might remember that R.C. Buford played, played briefly at Texas A&M, and then, and then in really bold letters, very briefly. So, <laughs> Oh, that's, that's that's ruthless. <laughs> people are now. look at yeah, people that was bullying on Facebook before it was Facebook. It was the beat reporter. That's Steve Richardson. Oh yeah, you knew he knew. <laughs> that's so funny, man. What was it what was it what was it feeling like transitioning from coaching to being in the front office? Was that a tough transition for you? Or was that pretty you know, seamless? It wasn't. Um you know, Pop came back as the GM to, with the Spurs. And yeah. We had coached together for five seasons, both at Kansas and in San Antonio. And <clears throat> at the time in 94, when the Spurs hired him as GM, there was nothing on his resume that would lead you to believe um, he would be, you know, an iconic basketball figure. He had been a division three head coach for seven years. He'd been an NBA assistant for five years. Um, and there was nothing that, that uh, looked like Hall of Fame credentials. But General McDermott, who was chairman of the board of the Spurs, at the time was president of the USAA here in San Antonio. But he was also had been the commandant of the Air Force Academy when Pop had played and coached there. And McD knew Pop as not as a basketball uh, per, uh, figure, but as a leader, and recognized the leadership that Pop could bring to the organization. And I believed in that vision, and needed to uh, and and was excited to come help him build his vision. So moving from the coaching to the scouting side was just I believed in the in the person. Nice. Unbelievable. There you go, man. That's and before we let you rock and roll, I'll give you one more for the road. Manny Ginobili, we brought him up earlier. What's your favorite Manny Ginobili hairstyle? Everyone's wondering it. We have to know. Is it bald Manu, balding Manu, long flow Manu? What do we got? So I guess my biggest hair story of Manu would have been <laughs> my daughter as a um when we were playing the alma dome so it would have been before 2003 and um so manu maybe for manu's first year and he had the long hair but it towards the end of the season there was a she's sitting watching the game and she could have been 
nine, 10 years old. And she started crying and she goes, mom, dad, look at the bald spot on Manu. <laughs> she was in oh, love with uh, the long hair, but she couldn't believe that he was already having a bald spot. So uh, that was early. That was early Manu. The yeah. iconic bald spot. And that was Nick's favorite. I like me and Toss are team lettuce, but the bald spot is just the most iconic thing. He was so proud. I was like, I was like LeBron. Yeah. Look at look at Manu. He's rocking it. He's owning it. Just let it ride, man. <laughs> the LeBron hairline, the Manu bald spot. Yeah, I'm team Manu. <laughs> RC man, thank you so much for joining the show. Absolute pleasure with you. We we really appreciate you imparting your wisdom and knowledge and your stories. Um, and we're looking forward to watching the Spurs rocket and seeing some of the young guys do some damage. And of course, Demar down in Orlando. Thanks, guys. Absolutely, brother. Thanks, RC. Take care. It is so fun when you can sit back in a show and just enjoy the anecdotes and lessons and stories from your guest. And we were privileged with this one, and we hope you guys enjoyed it. And we have more great shows coming, but this one was top of the line for us, and we hope for you guys too. Um, and before we head out, we got to remind you guys, tis the season for Opa Seasonings. That's right. We were brought to you by Opa Seasonings. Everybody is dealing with the pandemic dining at home. Keeping it healthy and simple with Opa Seasonings, we make it easier to fix meals by taking the guesswork out of what seasonings to go with, go with with different dishes. We also promote healthier eating a la Mediterranean diet with better food choices. Given back, finally, we donate a portion of our proceeds to give back to the homeless community. Hashtag Everybody needs to eat. Go to opafoods.com and type in the promo code the charity stripe. That's us, all caps, at checkout for 10% off any purchases. Again, that's opafoods.com and type in the promo code the charity stripe at checkout. Opa seasonings, guys, enough of the salt and pepper. You need it, sure, but get fancy with the spices. Greek food's great, Mediterranean food's amazing. Go to Opa Seasonings. Fellas, if you are trying to impress the lady in the house and y'all are crammed in and all you can work with is salt and pepper and you're and you're too scared to jump in the deep end, have no fear. Opa Seasonings will hold your hand. Get to it. We are also brought to you by a personal favorite of ours, unfortunately, Simply Safe. And we love Simply Safe because, again, we say time and time again, we was robbed. All right? We was robbed. And if we had Simply Safe, we wouldn't have been. What is the number one sign of a bad home security system? Trick question. A home security system that's so complicated you never use it. That's exactly the type of system Simply Safe has spent a decade fighting against. Boom. Simply Safe was designed to be easy to use while protecting your whole home 24-7-7-11. Order online, open the box, place the sensors, plug it in, and your home is protected around the damn clock. It's that simple. Head to simplysafe.com slash team and get free shipping in a 60, day, 60 days. Come on, that's two months. Money back guarantee. That's simplysafe.com slash team. It feels good to fear less. People, get. If, I know a lot of y'all don't be having a security system in your home. Go, go get you one. Trust me. You don't want to come home with the couches turned and think your roommates are playing a prank from you after Thanksgiving. And I know it's only July, but it's right around the corner in November. And I hate to keep bringing it up 
but I, I will bring it up as long as Simply Safe is our ad read. All right, we don't want you to go through the pain of being home invaded. I say it kind of jovially, but it's not funny at all. Go to simplysafe.com/team and and use and use the promo code. All right, it's 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 very easy. Money back guaranteed after six days. Any hoosers, enough about that. More about the show. R.C. Buford, thank you. We loved it. We had a great time. Um, hope you guys enjoyed again. To the fans out there, drag both feet inbounds. Swing on a full count. Rip that puck. Hit that putt. Hit your PKs because they're free. Throw that right hook because we're into the UFC. And hit your free throws. Why? Because they are free. We out you. We love you. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel and I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.